have, I want to go back a couple weeks ago and remind us that we think differently, we now resolve problems differently, we talk differently, we act differently, we live differently. All these different changes uh, came in our life, was become a part of our life. And um, we shared that the scripture where if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has arrived. And the, we had you think about the three questions. I, I wanted to review those. I give you a little bit of an assignment, if you recall, that at this point in your life, three questions we gave you when we started this series that we should think about. Number one, in the past year, what has changed in my life? Even though you may have been saved for many years, in the past year, what has changed in your life spiritually? Number two, from that, what thinking has been renewed and changed in you? In other words, we can read the Word of God. Okay, I read the Word of God and we can move on. But what thinking has changed? as a result of reading God's Word, as a result of studying God's Word. What thinking has changed? What thinking has been renewed in our minds compared to my life before Christ and my life after Christ? Which brought us to number three, you were to think, and what actions then have we taken because of the change? And of course, I challenged you on this thought. I said, if we're not any different from a year ago, when we understand what the word grow means, grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the last verse of 2 Peter in the last chapter, to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, if that is not transpiring, if that is not taking place, then we need to take a very serious introspect, a very serious, serious look at ourselves within. Have we become enough for ourselves? Or have we, are we enough for God. There's a whole new ruler in our life now. There's a whole different thing in our life now. And what I might think is enough praying, enough reading, enough sharing, enough serving, enough this, enough that. Is it enough to, with God because of the word grow? And uh, we can visual growth. You, you plant a seed in your garden and here come the tomatoes or whatever or a flower, whatever. Uh, you, you see your children come out of the womb, they're grown up. You know, we know what growth is by looking. We see it all the time. But internally, when he gets to that spiritual realm of us, are we just basically the same? Now, hey, you know what? If all the action is there, if all the faithfulness is there, if all the good stuff is always ongoing, the good, well, praise the Lord. <laughs> you're doing good. That means you're growing. But the ideal of growth is gaining the knowledge of God and his word and then acting upon it. And that's the ideal of change. That was the ideal of change. All the verses there in, in the top of page four, we didn't read uh, most of those. They were just verses coming from different directions of how we might look at change. Okay. So the above verses explain that our nature and the one who continues it has changed and in that, positionally, now that I've changed, now that I have Christ in me, now that I'm a new creation, I 
I positionally, I'm in Christ, but in practice, I must strive unto growth. I must strive to maturity. I must strive to such a maturity in Christ for the very purpose of being a light for Christ. And, and my brother in his lesson today touched based on that and uh, it, it, the beauty of that part. It, it's got to go beyond. It's got to go beyond just having a bunch of information in our brain that we get all the time. We, we've got to do something with it. And I would, I would like to add a verse to you for the Colossians 3.10. And it's in that list. And I just want to read that verse. And we have put on the new self. Notice it says that we have put on the new self. That means we had to initially take the, the responsibility and accept the responsibility and accept the challenge. And I had to put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The scripture says we have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. The, the ideal of knowledge here is experiential knowledge. There is a knowledge that we gain of learning. There's a knowledge we gain of experience. We got to experience the knowledge we gain. We have to go out and we have to purposely move in the direction of all that change that we do. And then, of course, you know what Romans 12, 2 says, be not conformed to this world, but be ye what? Transferred by the what? The renewing of the mind. So everything happens in the mind. Everything happens in the mind. Um, so... I want to read a verse this morning, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. And uh, here's what it says. You've heard me read it before. You've read it many, many times. But we want to take a look this morning a little bit bef before we move on to other things. I want to take a look at this ideal of temptation. I, I want to make sure we have a better understanding of what temptation is. And I'm sure you know temptation. I'm sure you know what it is. But is it a bad word, you see? And that's what we need to look at. So uh, no temptation has overtaken you. Now, if you look in the Amplified, it'll say no, no temptation, trial, or test. The Amplified says it that way. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to all of us. That means everybody faces it. There's no such thing as a different temptation for you than that no one else in the universe has ever had. That's exactly what Paul means here. It's, a, it's impossible to say that there's a temptation that can happen to any one of us that no one in the universe has ever had. He says it's common to us all. And, 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 and can I tell you why that's important to know that today? Because... If you think you've been tempted with something that no one in the world has ever been tempted with, then you just put yourself out from underneath the help of God because you'll think there's no help for you because it's not common to me. It's, no one's ever been through it. And see, so you put yourself, I put myself out from underneath what God can do for me because I think there's no help for me. I don't think I can get any help for that. So no, it's all common to us. Everybody has been through it. That type of thing, that type of scenario. We don't know what, all those temptations may be. But he refers to them being common. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And it's interesting. He says he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Isn't that interesting? Number one, God knows you are going to be tempted. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? He is saying, I'm not going to let any temptation take in you that's be, going to be impossible to bear. 
We just lost our excuse. Number two, we just lost our excuse. To walk out of here today and still walk in yielding to those temptations. We just lost that excuse. Because God says, I can help you bear it. I can help you through it. Number three, that's really beautiful today. When you work with somebody who has an addictive personality, addictive behavior of some sort, they need to hear, they need to know, you know, God can help you through that. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, tried or tested, he will also, isn't that beautiful? Say also. Mm. Folks, you have to see how beautiful this is. He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We need to see just how beautiful that really is today. Once again, what have I done? I've lost my excuse. I've lost the thing thinking I can't, I can't do it. Yes, I can. Because he has said that I can with his help. So... <clears throat> How will we ever know what to renew if we never read and study God's word and then act on it so it will transform us? Uh, again, strong emphasis today, as I got on the tail end of the Sun School class, to the extent that we know the word is the extent of our growth, to the extent that we put the word to work is the extent of our growth. The extent that we experience what God said to do every day is the, to the extent will be to how we grow. So what is temptation in the Bible? You know, there's, we have to look at this carefully because it's Thanksgiving season and my daughter-in-law makes the most, and I don't want to offend anybody here because I don't know how you do it. I know how you cook. I don't know how you make sweets this woman could open up her own sweet shop in dover she is the best and, and my wife will say it, so i'm not in trouble with my wife for saying this today she's the best sweet maker person you you uh, she's amazing and this woman can make anything sweet so there's that natural temptation is how many pieces of that will i have after dinner and that that's a type of a temptation. So we, we have those kinds of temptations, but from a biblical perspective, it has a little bit of a deeper meaning, the word temptation. It, it's where someone experiences a challenge, a spiritual challenge to your spirit, Christ in us, referring to the spirit of Christ in us, and which has transformed our spirit, and which is transforming our mind, our thinking, all right, and therefore our actions. It's where someone experiences a challenge is to choose between a right, and I put in brackets there, biblical, a biblical versus a wrong choice. Now listen to this, to one's obligation to God. It's where someone experiences a challenge to choose a right biblical choice versus a wrong choice to one's obligation to God. Uh, in, in other words, the whole ideal of facing temptation from a biblical perspective, it has to do is that 
it's presenting myself to God and I am causing God and I'm allowing God, I'm making God render a decision based on the choice I just made. You know, so many times we look at temptation and we think about how the enemy's tempting us. The enemy's tempting us. We're going to look at that in just a moment. The enemy's tempting. The enemy's tempting. The enemy's tempting me. Wait a minute. Hold up. Time out. Listen, it's about how God views it. It's about we've just obliged God. If I don't yield to a wrong temptation, if I yield to a wrong temptation, I just obliged God to do what he needs to do to deal with me on the choice I just made. I obliged God. Go home and check me out. Like brother, brother said today, I always tell you, I told my people for years, if you don't understand what I'm saying, you go home and do your research. You're going to find this truth is there. You see, we know what God wants. What, what's the, what, get, just give me one word that you can think of, make an interaction here. Think of one word you can think of today that, would, that we know that God wants of us. Thank you. Obedience. Exactly. That, that it, and you see, when we say, well, God wants obedience to what? Everything. Everything his word says. Everything his word says to do. Everything that he's finally renewed in our mind and brought us into a new light, into a new understanding. We're to obey that. So obedience becomes that. So here's what happens. God tests. You remember we read that that which God tests us with, what he allows? We just read that in verse 13. We just read it. So God tests man's fidelity or his faithfulness to himself. He wants us to see our faithfulness is to him. It's not just not doing something I shouldn't do. It's not just having the victory over something. It's about honoring God with my obedience. It's about honoring God with what I should be like and what I should do. So God tests man's faithfulness to himself. Mankind, therefore, by our faithfulness or unfaithfulness, I am actually testing God. I'm actually testing God. I'm receiving the tests, but I'm also testing God to reward now he has to reward me with what either punishment for yielding to the wrong choice or I have to yield myself the test to him to reward me for the good that I chose it's putting God to the test to respond according to the decision to make. Therefore, it comes back to that one statement, we live with the consequences of our choices. Isn't that beautiful? That is a beautiful description of, of temptation. Now, we need to take it further. This, I don't know if this is in your uh, scriptures, but write this down to James chapter 1. So write this down, James 1, uh, and 13 through 15. James 1, 13 through 15. And uh, so we, we want to make sure that we understand there's the things that God allows. Don't get confused to what we just read and what we're going to read. So don't be confused. There's what God allows and there is what is the temptation. There is the temptation. And we've we got to take a look at where, they, where, where does temptation come from? 
I'm going to tell you something. Let's get this straight right now. If the temptation is coming from outside within, or if the temptation is coming from within without, of our own nature, it all transpires in the mind. You know, I work with people for years. I've got 30-some people that's on my list right now that meet with me or talk to me from time to time. And uh, listen, I have to deal with a lot of infidelity in marriage, unfortunately, unfortunately. Very, very sad. And uh, it, it, what, what we have to understand is that before there could be infidelity, there's that physical infidelity, there's the verbal infidelity, there's the physical, there's the touching, there's the things we shouldn't do. But did you know where it all started? In the mind. Folks, there's another type of infidelity that no one thinks about. They think about the verbal, they think about the physical, the touching, the things they shouldn't do. It's called thought. Thought affair. They've allowed their mind to already have an affair to get close to someone they shouldn't before it even happens. Now think about it. <laughs> no pun intended. Think about it. I'm not going to walk out here and say, you know what? I'm going to, hey, hey, come here. Come here, lady. Hey, I'm all by myself today. Let's, let's go for a ride. How stupid. How foolish. No, I have to have looked at that person. I'm going to have to have that. Mm, wow, she's a, she's a cutie. I wonder if she likes. See, already the mind is thinking that. You see, we've got to shut down these thoughts in our mind. As quickly as the temptation occurs that is ungodly, as quickly you and I must dis dismiss it immediately. E as quick as you can blink your eye, as quickly you have to let that thought go. That's how we overcome quickly temptation. See, temptation isn't, we, it can be bad, but is it a bad word? It's, I thank God that he taught us on temptation to help us to be guided. So let's take a look at James 1. When tempted, no one should say, God has tempted me. Remember what I said to you? Can God allow? Help me. All right. And, and there, yet there's that which God can't do. He is not going to tempt us. He's not going to tempt us. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each of you is tempted when you are dragged away by your own evil desire and enticed. Where's that coming from? Well, there could have been something that came at us, but we allowed it to develop in here. We allowed it to brew. We allowed it to become more intense in our thoughts. We, we thought about it too much. We, we thought on it more than we should have. And the more that we think on that which is tempting us from within, from the evil desire that came from outside in because you have the five senses and that temptation enters through the five senses, gets right into the core of the being, then uh, you see they both will work, can work at the same time. Then when we are on our own desire and then we become enticed. Now, once I become enticed, now I understand the next phrase in the scripture. Now I understand why it started in the mind, because now that I've brewed on it, thought about it, kept thinking about it, now I've opened my mouth and now I have begun the process to have a good opportunity and a good chance 
bad opportunity, bad chance, that I may yield to that temptation. Because here's what it says. Then, say then, then after, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So what happens is that desire that I was thinking about mulling over in my mind has become an opportunity. And if I go ahead and conceive that desire, that means I've fulfilled it. I have done it. I have committed the sin. I have done committed it. Then we are enticed and we sin. And sin, when it is full grown, if we don't stop it, if we don't jump out the window, I'll have to, I've got a huge chart, nice huge chart that uh, put together over this. I need to get a copy of that for you. Then you have a visual set right in front of you. There's a window of really a matter of minutes. There's a window, matter of seconds. There's a window. If we don't jump out of that window, we will escalate in our desire. That desire will come up here and we will commit that sin. And then we will realize what we've done and we will begin the repenting process and we come back down. This is the, the raging desire inside of us. And all of a sudden we have to bring it back down. We confess, we ask God to forgive us and we get back on the level where we need to be and we keep going forward. It's part of that sanctification process. That's what this is all about when we talk about temptation. So sin happens because we have increased the desire by thinking about it. That's why we must be transformed by the renewing of our mind. By the way, I always tell men that are steeped into pornography, which is the drug of choice for men in America today. Uh, choice of drug, I mean, for American men today. Uh, statistically speaking, there's just uh, so many that are into it. Is that I always tell the men in my office or on the phone or on mail, whatever it is I need to do to get a message. I tell them this. She is not your property. She belongs to someone else. Now, she's being paid to do that, but she actually belongs to somebody else. Statistically, there's a good possibility that her husband is letting her do that to make money. And men all over the country are enjoying her and what they see. Right? But that's not even your property. And again, as I said before, by the way, walk up to her and try to lead her to the Lord after you've used her. Used her body to enjoy yourself. Now try to lead her to the Lord. You won't even give that a thought. So you're not even helping that woman to know the Lord someday. Because you're busy enjoying her. It's a horrific uh, addiction. Are we clear? On temptation. Remember one thing. If you don't remember any of this, remember this. When I'm faced with a temptation, I'm giving God a chance and I'm giving him permission to do what he needs to do. And that is punish me, correct me, convict me, whatever, or give me a blessing and a spiritual pat on the back for choosing the right thing. Which one do we want, folks? I wouldn't mind having a good pat on the back from the Lord for doing the right thing. The third evidence that we have as we go to page five. All right. We're looking at evidences. And uh, the second evidence was the act of salvation. Their first evidence was the act of salvation coming from Christ. Then the second evidence was the act of salvation that happens in us, which is what we just covered. OK, now 
we look at the third evidence, uh, and that is the act of salvation through us. The act of salvation in us, now the act of salvation through us. Because there's more to salvation than just saying, I'm saved. There's more to that. There's much more. If you look at, uh, for instance, if you look at, you can write these scriptures in if you want. Uh, you know them well, but I added a couple of scriptures to this list here. Ephesians 2.10, where it talks about that we are the workmanship of Christ. Created unto Christ Jesus to do what? Good works. Good works. Say, boy, pastor, how can you say that? I'm so busy now, I can't see straight. And uh, let me tell you something. If you are and I are that busy, then the world is also that busy. And if we're so busy like them, how are we going to stop them from going to hell? If we don't become busy also with our testimony, with our lifestyle, with helping, doing what we need to do. Then you got 3.20 that says, I can do above and beyond which, that which I ever expected. Ephesians 3.20. So you have 2.10 that says, I'm a workmanship credited to God for good works. And then in 3.20 it says that I can do above and beyond that, that which God ever think or expect. So say, so, you know, Pastor, I'm just so busy I haven't got time. I say you take time and you watch how God helps you with your time. When we put God first and we stay, and we're being sensitive out there when we're about trying to see an opportunity to witness, it may slow us down from getting to another appointment for 10, 15 minutes, but that 10, 15 minutes could be the very seed that turns that life around for the kingdom. We really have to think this way today, folks. We have to be, you say, Pastor, look at us. We look like the gray hair convention and we're tired, we're exhausted, we're retired. We, we just want to let you, Come on, Pastor, can't we just enjoy the rocking chair and, and just rock our way into heaven? I've done spent my whole life. Listen, let me tell you something. I had this girl in our church in Olivet, Michigan. She was the head of our youth. She was 16 years old, and I put her in charge of our youth. She was a Christian, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trained, et cetera, et cetera, trainer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And she says to me one day, she says, you know what, Pastor Kuhn? Now listen to this. She said, now, I've done all that I think that I could do for the Lord now. So I'm going to step down from being the, the youth pastor. I said, do you hear yourself? You're 16 years old. I believe in putting people to work in the church. All right? You're 16 years old. And you've already done your work for God? Really? So what do you plan on doing the rest of your life? What are you going to do with the rest of your life if you're done now? So, folks, let me ask you a question. Now that you've lived that long life, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? Now that you're done. Are you done? Are, should we be done? Does age have anything to do with it? How old was Abraham? How old were these people in the Bible? 100, 200, 300 years old. And they were as busy as could be. Until we get to 300... We have no excuse not to be doing something for the Lord. And everyone said, all right, all right, all right. And remember, it's about is mine enough enough or is God's enough enough? You see, 
There's so many people around you folks here that need the Lord. I'm always praying for you folks down here, always praying for this area, that, that, that just God will burst forth a huge move of His Spirit. So in the act of salvation through us, we have the first thing is my call. John 1.12, Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. In John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Now, we could not have come. We need to understand something here. We could not have come unless he had drawn us by his spirit. We were drawn by the spirit of God to open our hearts. And I told you last week, there's a certain measure of faith that he actually planted in us to make it easy to have faith in him. I did not conjure up my faith. It wasn't my faith that saved me. It was, for by grace are you saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. So God gives us a, gave us a little gift of faith to ignite within us the desire to want to get saved. But I still had to choose him. That, that salvation didn't come until I chose him. That salvation didn't come because Romans 10 says it can't come unless you confess with your mouth. I have to choose to confess with my mouth. I can't just be pre-saved as I'm born. It's impossible. It's impossible. I have to confess that I have Christ in my life, that I choose Christ and I accept Christ. So when he said, do not, you do not choose me, but I chose you to go and bear fruit. Now that I'm saved, please understand. Now that I'm saved, he's chosen me to go out and to bear fruit. Fruit that will last. You know, there's the grapevines that they start on these trellises. And after they grow after a period of time, they have to put bigger trellises to keep the vines grown up for the grapes. And so in stages, they build bigger trellises to get the grapes up high. So they start off on the ground. So that's why you'll see a, a field of trellises because they do that. You know what that is? That's so that they would not just bear fruit in the ground and bear more fruit when they begin to show up from the ground, but that they will bear much fruit when they're up on the trellis so they can bear much fruit. They're, 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 talk to a vineyard person on that. And see if what their ideal of it is. Uh, you know an apple tree? Do you know how deep, how far a root goes in an apple tree? If you take an apple tree and you have a nice rain shower, the furthest point of the leaves, the water drops off into the ground straight down from the leaves. The roots are looking for water all the time. And the more water that's around the tree, where the water comes off the end of the tree, wherever the leaves are, all the way around, the roots grow to that extent. So if you were to dig up an apple tree, and let's say that the branches were from here to that stand, you would probably go ahead and find a root that hit that far out, because it's thirsty. And that's how those apple trees are grown. So to the extent, folks, that we are in Christ, to the extent that we do and that we go out and we produce fruit today, fruit that will last because it's an eternal thing. 
is the extent that people are going to come to know the Lord and the extent that our fruit is going to be shiny. It's going to be appetizing because we're exhorting, we're exuberating, we are giving out Christ. And they're going to see the love of Christ in us. They're going to see the fruit, the love, the joy, the peace. The they're going to see that in our lives. Can you believe that? Isn't that beautiful? And that, that's why they're going to wonder, why are you so different? And I've been asked that kind of question over the years. How do you smile? Why, why are you so happy? Well, thank you for asking. You got five minutes? Let's have a conversation. And we, we couldn't have done anything like this, folks. It had been Christ who drew us by his spirit. Do you remember what it said about the lady of purple in Acts 17, Lydia? What did the Lord say there? What did Paul teach there? He said, and the Lord opened her heart to the word. The Lord opened her heart. What is that? The drawing of the Spirit of God in her heart that day. She was a religious person. Remember, we preached on her. She was a religious person, but she wasn't a Christian yet. So what the Lord did was he opened her heart. He opened your heart one day. He opened my heart one day through the preaching and teaching of the word. And we chose. Now that I chose that, he's now chosen me to go out and bear fruit. And that's why I said, when we got saved, did we just get saved to get saved? Okay, I'm saved. Okay, let me get out to the garage, work on my antique car today. In the meantime, while you work on your antique car or your yard or your garden, whatever, your neighbors around you are going straight to hell. Because no one's talked to them. No one's talked to them. We've got to talk to them, folks. We've got to get acquainted with our neighbor. We got to do something. I, I'm just so blessed right now, both on uh, either side, we have Christians, and the one family goes to our church as a result of our church years ago. They moved in the neighborhood, and they, now they go to our church, and they've gotten, uh, gotten involved. So I have a responsibility, is my next thought. And um, if, you, if you want to turn with me or, uh, to James, uh, James chapter 2, I know you know this stuff, and I, I'd make it easy for you if you knew, that if you had my Bible, it's on page 321, but don't try it because you won't have my Bible. <laughs> okay, I thought that was funny. I'll stop that one. I'll limit that one. I'll take that one off my list. I had a funeral recently, and I, they went really long, and so I hadn't spoken yet. When I got up, I made the comment. I says. Do you know what it means when a preacher takes his watch off at a funeral? It means absolutely nothing. And I scared them to make them think they're going to be there all day. But thank God that one went over okay. They liked that one. It scared them. So here we are. And uh, we... Uh, ah... James 2, verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if we claim to have faith but have no deeds? Can such faith save them? This is scary stuff. I want you to know this is convicting today. Can such faith save them? So you see, I'm trying to tell you there's more than just getting saved. 
There's more to it than just to say I'm saved. Okay? If people claim to have faith but have no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose your brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. How does that make you feel today if you aren't doing anything for the Lord? Your faith is dead. You know what faith means? Trust, reliance, dependence upon Christ. You want to get deep? You want me to just fluff over it. You ready? Because of that, I'm supposed to put that faith, that trust, that reliance, that depends on Christ and do the things he's asked me to do. Believe that he'll provide with necessary means I can get in order to feed and clothe the poor person. Or help them in other ways. Our, our church in Dover, you folks do it here when you do your Thanksgiving thing and all that. You're doing it here too. We just need to do more. Just like we need to do more, I think, up there too. We, there's always more to be done. There's so many people that have needs. But we fed 1,600 people last year for Thanksgiving. They're looking at that many or more this year on Thanksgiving Day. A lot of our people, there'll be 100 workers at the church on Thanksgiving Day. They won't be home with their families watching football. They'll be delivering meals all through Kent County and other places. Over 1,600 of people that need the food. And you know what they'll do when they're done that day? And we do shifts so that folks get a chance to be home with their family. They're not being ignored. But that, that's, that, that's what this means. They're putting their faith to work. When you get these baskets together for people, you're putting your faith to work. And you're believing God for the means. You know what I ask God? God, give me more so I can give more. Lord, give me more. Give my wife and I more so we can give more. I actually ask the Lord to give me more money so I can give more money away. I really do. I try to, we do. We help a lot of people behind the scenes. And so we're, 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 I'm going to be helping a family in Colorado through my daughter who's got a friend who's in great need. It's on, I'm going to send X amount of money and I'll, I'll send it to you so you can do something for them. And you don't even have to tell them where it came from. That's between you and me and the Lord. And so we're going to send some money out there to help this very poor, needy family in Colorado. You know what? Lord, give me more so I can give more. Lord, give me more strength so I have more to give. Lord, give me more love so I have more love to give. Don't limit God. Don't, do not limit God. You let God have all he wants in you. You let God have all he wants from you. You give it all to God. You let God increase you above and beyond, Ephesians 3.20, what you could ever ask, think, or expect. Wow. Well, we're not done yet. Ah, but someone will say, you have faith. I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by what I do. So faith is connected to doing. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Then he goes on to talk about Abraham and what he did. It was credited him for righteousness because he obeyed God. Oh, there's that word obedience. Obedience. 
So in the same way, verse 25, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. Faith. I don't want your faith to be dead. I don't want my faith to be dead. And then if we go to Philippians chapter 2, we're going to close. Philippians chapter 2. And I want to publicly thank you so very, very, very much uh, to the church board for uh, allowing me to have this time uh, where I, I can spend time on a series and get through it in a weekly manner. I just really appreciate that board. Thank you. It means a great deal. Uh, to get th this burden off our hearts about why all this I'm doing today and next week, it's all leading up to how then should I live? We haven't covered that yet. We haven't even covered those verses yet that started the lesson off. <laughs> we'll do that when we get done with this part of it. So Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says the following. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed. Oh, my goodness. There's that word obey. What are we to obey? Little quiz. Everything he says. So when I read it in the word, do I listen? The word is so alive. When I read the word, do I have to stop that obedience until I'm led by God to do something? Or am I supposed to whatever I read in the Bible that day? Am I supposed to obey that and just do it? Which one is it? Number one or two? It's number two, isn't it? It's whatever. I don't, I don't want to walk out here and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to go home, watch football, eat lunch, my granddaughter's birthday celebration today. Go with the family, watch some football, have some food, and my granddaughter's or my daughter-in-law's dessert if she makes it for today. I'm going to enjoy all that. Wait a minute. I'm not going to do anything until the Lord taps me on the shoulder and says, hey, how about this? Or am I just going to do what the Bible says? You see. Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. To fulfill his good purpose that we read about in Ephesians 2.10. Workmanship. You know what I envision? What I envision is, and we're going to stop there and we'll pick up next week with, with Galatians next week. Let me just make a mark there. All right, so here's what I envision. I envision that I'm in a uh, workshop and um, I'm the product. And the Holy Spirit is the carpenter. And that what he's doing is the Holy Spirit is working on me in the workshop. And he's molding my life and he's, he's chiseling down, he's trimming down, he's cleaning up, he's forming, he's shaping. Oh, let's take the potter and the clay. The potter being God and we are the clay and he forms us. And sometimes he has to break that potter down because that potter isn't formed right. So he has to break that potter and start all over again. 
How many times has the Lord had to start all over in our lives on things because we didn't get it yet? And he just remolds us and reshapes us into what he wants us to be and become. And so, folks, what I see here today so far is that I have a res huge responsibility in the kingdom of God to get a work done for the Lord. We are all busy. We do have life. We have to make an income. Well, that honors God. You know, we, we do have to cut the grass and do the chores. That honors God. We're to, we're to be good stewards of what God has given us, right? And what God's blessed us with. What we are saying today is somewhere in the brain, in the heart, in the mind, we have to allow room to incorporate the extra things that God might move on our hearts to do as we move about in our community. We have to do that. We have to see that just because I haven't yet shared my testimony with that person I may have helped at the grocery store, I've literally paid for people's groceries because their credit card didn't work. I've literally paid for them. And uh, I didn't care what the bill was. I just obeyed the Lord. I did what is to help the poor and help the needy. Now, they weren't maybe poor and they were, maybe they weren't as needy. I, I don't know. All I know is that they needed help because they couldn't get anything. They, didn't, they couldn't get their car to work. So we, we helped them out. And I always, I've always seen the Lord bring it back. I, I, I had a funeral a while back, just a month, a month ago. And uh, usually they pay pastors honorariums. And I didn't get any from there. So I had another one this, this week on Tuesday. I did a graveside. And the, what would be the normal pay for a pastor doing a funeral is a certain amount. Uh, the, most funeral homes now pay $100 because they know a pastor has to study, has to prepare, has to be there, he has to help the family. There's a lot of work behind the scenes. And uh, so that's the normal thing. Well, this particular guy, I, all I did was the graveside about five or ten minutes because it was cold. And I got 200. And I said, you know, Lord, you are just one awesome God. I didn't get anything for the other, which was fine. I, I work for the Lord. I don't work for money. But then here's this guy who's a friend of mine. I did his mother's gravesite, and he gives me $200. And I'm thinking, well, God, you're so awesome. You're so awesome. Well, guess where that $200 is going to go? To Colorado. So God provided. He provided. That's $200 I don't have to take out of my budget. That's $200 I can send to Colorado to help a family. God is good. Folks, when you leave her today, look for opportunities because they're all around. And everyone said, amen. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for teaching us, Lord, your word. Help us, Lord, to grasp this. We're not too old and we're not too young to work for you, to do a work. And then we just pray, God, that there will be the strength and increase the strength, the whatever is needed in us to be about the Father's business. That's, that's why, Jesus, you were the way you were. You even said there's certain things you couldn't do because you need to be about the Father's business. Well, Lord, maybe there's a lot of things we shouldn't be doing because we need to be about your business as a missional church today. So bless this church. Continue to use this church and everyone in it, Father, because everyone is valuable and everyone is usable. Thank you, Father. And we give you glory, praise and honor. And Lord, continue to strengthen our brother Weymouth and Paul and the boys, Lord. Just continue to strengthen the family and encourage their hearts today, Father. Especially during this time of year when Sally will be greatly missed, Lord. 
happy that she's with you, but sad she's not with us. And so, Lord, we just pray to keep them encouraged in you. And everyone prayed in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you, folks. We love you. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving.